From the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, this is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, Pardes alum. This is a special Shavuot podcast by Rabbi Rachel Berkowitz. Rabbi Berkowitz has created a handout for this podcast, which you're invited to download from elmod.pardes.org and use it to follow along with her during the podcast. Rabbi Berkowitz is a senior member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Rabbi Rachel Berkowitz. We're in the middle of the period of Sfirat Omer, leading up to Chag HaShavot, Chag Matan Torah. I was in high school the first time I ever heard of the famous dispute between the Pharisees and the Sadducees regarding how to count Sfirat Omer. We were in class and we read the verse from Leviticus 2315 that says, Right, that you should, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after Shabbat, from the day you bring the Omer as a wave offering, seven weeks, they shall be complete. And as any good modern Orthodox day school, we read Rashi. And on the phrase, Mimacharat Shabbat, on the day after Shabbat, Rashi says, Mimacharat Yom Tov HaRishon Shel Pesach, on the day after the first festival day of Passover. And the teacher simply explained to us that the Sadducees did not believe in the oral law, while the Pharisees, who rabbinic Judaism was descended from, learned that the Torah was given straight from Sinai. And on Sinai, we received the oral tradition that you should read the word Shabbat instead of meeting Shabbat like seven days and then Shabbat as the day after Pesach. And I, as a very cocky 16-year-old, thought, this is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard, right? It says black on white Shabbat. How could it possibly be Pesach? And how could the oral law disregard the simple read of the verse? I didn't really get a great answer in uh, in high school. And I'm embarrassed to say that these type of simple readings of Drasho led me to disparage the enterprise of rabbinic Judaism somewhat and trying to understand really what these midrashim were. I won't... Uh, bore you with my Jewish journey, how I then became a teacher and lover of Mishnah and Talmud. But um, what I do want to offer you is a slightly different understanding of the rabbinic enterprise. And I want to do it specifically regarding Svirata Omer and then sort of bring it out to a larger picture to understand how the rabbis understand the oral law in general. Um, so do, to do that, I'd like to look at some psukim. The rabbi's view that you start counting from the day after Passover actually does appear in the Tanakh, in Sefer Yehoshua. And here, the children of Israel are about to encamp, enter Israel, and they're encamped in Gilgal. They've just entered Israel. And they make the Passover sacrifice on the 14th day of the month. And it says, And and then it says that that they finally eat from the new produce and uh, they eat on the day after Passover. They have the phrase and the rest of the pasuk that they eat bread and then they eat parched corn on this very day mirrors actually a verse that was in Vayikra that was right before the verse I read above that says in, in, in Vayikra Chafgimel Yudalit, V'lechem v'kali v'karmel lo tachu ad etzem hayom hazeh. Right? So lechem, here we have replaced with matzot, the same parched corn. You're not allowed to eat till you do this. So in Sefer Yehoshua, instead of having Mimacharat HaShabbat, it has Mimacharat HaPesach. And so this could be 
one of the reasons why the rabbis uh, said this. The Midrash and Midrash Zuta sort of reinforces this idea. It, it reads the Psukim from Sefer Yehoshua, and then it says, Mikan omrim omer Shabbat, Shabbat. Right from here is a response to those that say, the Sadducees, that the counting of the Omer is from the day after Shabbat. That is, Shabbat is defined in Genesis and Breshi. For behold, the text says from the day after Passover and not from the day after Shabbat. Right, so you might say, ah, this is an explanation. Um, why? But I think that we could give a slightly different explanation. This idea, the simple, the straightforward idea I'm about to tell you, I learned from an article of Professor Shlomo Na'eh, Ain aim lemasoret. I want to expand on his basic premise, but let me tell you his basic premise. When I learned this, it just opened my eyes. In the Torah, it mentions a number of different places where the Chagim, right? It tells us a number of different places about the Chagim. In Vayikra, it's in Devarim, it's in Shmot. And if you look in the Psukim, there's actually an, an internal conflict between the Psukim themselves. In our verses that we read in Leviticus, it was clear that this Chag HaShavuot, right, the, the festival of weeks, was based on a, a week that was a Shabbat, a Shabbat, Sheva Shabbatot, right, a week that starts on a Sunday and goes to Shabbat. And that's why you start counting from the day after Shabbat. You start counting on a Sunday because those are how weeks are defined. But if you look in Exodus 34, and, and if you look at Exodus 34, you'll see a reinforcement of this idea. It says the following in verse 21. It's listing the holidays, and it first says the holiday of Shabbat, right? Six days you shall work, seventh day you rest. And then the next verse is, and a festival of weeks you shall make for yourself. Here, too, it's sort of defined that a Shavua is a Shavua based on the model of Shabbat. However, if you look in Sefer Dvarim, where we also have verses about the counting of the Omer, it says the following. It says the following. On Dvarim 16, verse 8, it says, Six days you shall eat matzah, and on the seventh day you should have an assembly, literally in Seret, for the Lord your God, and you shall not work. And then the next Pasuk says, Tispor lecha mehachal charmash. Seven weeks you shall count. From when the sickle is first put to the standing crop, you begin the count of seven weeks. You shall make a festival of weeks for the Lord. Here we have language, right? We had in Shmot, Sheshemim Tavod, Vyamushvich Tishpot. Here, Sefer Dvarim models that language, but has something different. Sheshemim Tochamatzot, Vyamushvi, Atzar Lashem. Right, six days eat matzah on the seventh day atzeret. It's kind of actually awkward phrase if you think about Chaka Pesach, but it definitely is saying to us, you know what? There's another definition of a week. There's a week that's the seven days of Pesach. And so we have a different model of a week. We can have a week that's a Shabbat, that's a defined week from Sunday through Shabbat, and we can have a model of a week that is any unit of seven times in the lives of human beings, defined by their personal experience. And one major personal experience we have is the holiday of Passover. And then the next verse says, count seven weeks. So there's actually an internal contradiction within the Torah about how do I define a week? And I think we have this in, in modern times. We have weeks that 
in America, maybe start on Monday, right? And go to the weekend. Or you have say, you say to a friend, I'll meet you a week from today, next Tuesday, right? Because you're on Tuesday and you say a week from that, right? Or you have, you count how many weeks you're going to be on vacation. You start with the first day that you flew, which doesn't have to be a Sunday, right? We have two types of telling time. There's the objective time, which is Shabbat Breshit. And then there's the subjective time of the human experience of a unit of seven days. And the Torah presents two different models for how to count for Shavuot. Vayikra is the objective time from Shabbat. And Varim is the subjective time using Pesach as a model. Now, Chazal chose to use the model of Pesach. And the question is, why did they do that? I don't know. Maybe because they had a tradition from Sefer Yoshua. I don't know the answer of why. But I think that there's something very interesting that we can learn about our experience of counting to Chag HaShavuot using Pesach as a model that is that is important for us today. To try to understand that deep, more deeply, I want to think about what the rabbis think Chag HaShavuot is. Chag HaShavuot is the only holiday in the Torah that's purely agricultural. It doesn't have a historical bent, like Sukkot is linked to being in the desert, and Pesach is linked, obviously, to Yitzhak Mitzrayim. But the rabbis, as we all know, linked it to a historical event. That historical event was the giving of the Torah, was the giving of the Torah on Harsinai. And so we have numerous places we can look for inspiration of what happens, but there's a very, very, very famous story in the Gemara that some of you might have heard in many contexts, where the rabbis give their behind-the-scenes interpretation of what happened on Harsinai. This is in Tractate Menachot 29b. I hope to give it maybe slightly different interpretation than some of you have heard before, but it's well re- worth reading the story because it's such a fascinating story. The story says the following, Rabbi Yehuda says to Rav, Rabbi says that Rav says, when Moshe ascended on high, he found the Holy One, blessed be he, sitting and trying, tying crowns on the letters of the Torah. And he said before God, Master of the universe, Mim akev al yadcha, who is preventing your hands? God said to him, there is a man that will be in the future after several generations, and Akiva ben Yosef is his name, in the future who will derive from each and every thorn of the crowns, mounds upon mounds of halachot. And he said before God, Master of the universe, show him to me. God said to him, return behind you. He went and sat on the end of the eighth row in Rabbi Akiva's class and did not understand what they were saying. His, referring to Moshe, strength waned. And when Rabbi Akiva arrived at the issue, his students said to him, my teacher, from where do you derive this? And he said to them, it is a halacha transmitted to Moshe from Sinai. Halacha Moshe Sinai. And Moshe's mind was put at ease. So this is like a crazy story, but I want to focus on this interesting line here. Moshe shows up and God's not ready. Last minute procrastinator, maybe like me. And he's still putting the last calligraphy like twirls on the edges of the letters. And Moshe doesn't say to him, like, what are you doing? Aren't the words enough? Why are you making this fancy decorative thing? Moshe says to him, Mim akev al who is preventing you? And, and God gives this interesting answer. And to understand the awkwardness of this question, you really have to look at the context that this story is being told in the Talmud. This story is a very famous Talmud, obviously, for the implications of Moshe not understanding what Rabbi Akiva is saying, and it's been taught many times out of context. But I want to suggest that to really understand it, you have to know the context in which it is being quoted. And this Mishnah appears in Tractate Menachot, and in the, in the third chapter of Menachot. And here, there's a, a collection of Mishnayot, starting from Mishnah Hay through Mishnah Zion, that have a, a, a repeating refrain. I'm going to read through it in Hebrew. It doesn't matter if you understand any of the technicality of the halachot. Just listen to the song that is being said in this Mishnah. 
It says the following. Okay. You didn't have to understand a word, but did you hear the song? Did you hear X and Y makvim zetzeh? This and that prevent one another. That is the song of the Mishnah. So you already hear the word makvim is in the Mishnah, and then Moshe says, who is preventing your hands? What is this halachic concept? The halachic concept is that you have two parts that are an integral part of the whole, and you can't, it's all or nothing. You can't have one half without the other, right? So if I have three of the four species that I want to put together in my lulav to shake, it's not like I've almost done the large majority of the mitzvah of lulav. It's, I've done nothing until I have the whole parcel. I need all four species together to shake to do the mitzvah of lulav. There's not like an almost doing something. Every one of these things said this part and that part prevent one another, meaning if you don't have one part, if you don't have one part, the other part is nothing. You need both to form an integral whole. And that is what is so incredible about what is being said in this story. So when Moshe says to God, he's gone up to receive the Torah, and the divine is not finished. And Moshe says, And God answers, there's going to be a, du- a person in the future at the end of many generations. And his name is Rabbi Akiva. In the language of the Mishnah, the text is saying, Right? God, the divine and Rabbi Akiva prevent one another. This is in my mind, the most incredible thing. The verse in the drasha makvim zetze. The torsh v'ktav, the torsh v'alpet makvim zetze. You can't have one without the other. A Torah without the possibility of human interpretation is not fit to be revealed. You need the verse and the human drasha. They are both integral parts of a complete whole. The divine could not get yet give the Torah to Moshe without the potential and a place and a space for human interpretation. And when Rabbi Akiva sits in his Beit Midrash and he quotes Halachot, that body of law is the same in some way as the verses said at Sinai. Even if Moshe doesn't understand them, they are intrinsically have to be intrinsically linked to that very same experience. There's a text in the Talmud in Gitin that says, Rabbi Yochanan says, Lo karata karash Brit in Israel, Ella Bishfil, Dvarim Shabal Peh. Shenemar, Kielpi Hadvrim, Ella, Karati, Tchabrit, Vet Israel. Rabbi Yochanan says, The Holy and Blessed Hebihi made a covenant with the Jewish people only for the sake of matters that were transmitted orally. As it is stated, for the basis of all these mattered, Alpi, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Quoting from Shmot. The covenant at Sinai is a par- partnership between the divine and Am Yisrael to bring Torah 
into this world. Now that we sort of understand this aspect that the rabbis have, I think it, it makes sense that they chose that this period of time leading up to leading up to Chag HaShavuot, Chag Matan Torah, this period of Sferd HaOmer, the basis of that would be counting time from Pesach. Because Shabbat is objective godly time. It has nothing to do with the human being. God sanctifies it in Bereshit. Maybe later on we take that sanctification into our lives. But as a model for time, it's objective godly time. It has nothing to do with the lives of human beings. Shabbat is going to go on and on from from the time period of creation on, whether human beings know it's Shabbat or not. But Chag HaPesach, not only because the Chagim, right, the way we define the date of the holiday is by originally witnesses looking at the sky, seeing the new moon and the Beitin and the court sanctifying it, right? So the date itself is defined not by objective godly time, but by human perception time. But obviously we all know that Chag HaPesach is the, is the holiday in which we became a nation, right? It's the it's this personal, um, subjective moment of human creation of the Am Yisrael in which our relationship with the divine was solidified. And so this holiday, which defines ourselves as a human nation and this ex- experience of our personal time as coming together as one and experiencing ourselves as a nation that believes in the divine and has a relationship to the divine, I think is a perfect model for Svirata Omer. So when when Chazal pick and they choose that they want to use the pshat of Sefer Dvarim, that the model for a week is Pesach and the individual experience and subjective time, and they prioritize it over Vayikra, I think that they are revealing their overall world outlook, that really Hashem v'Yisrael makvim Torah, that that the divine and Yisrael prevent one another, are partners with one another in the revelation and experience of Torah. And so we want to use the model of partnership and human experience of counting those weeks leading up to the moment of revelation, because our human experience is in an integral part of that experience of revelation that happened on Sinai and continues to happen to this day. And so my bracha to you of a Chag Sameach is that in this time leading up to Shavuot and the experience of learning that you should have on Shavuot should be one of personal, communal, and national, an experience of ongoing and continued revelation. Chag Sameach. Thank you, Robert Berkowitz. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.